From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up presents Danny Flecka back with us after his podcast hiatus after the Super Bowl. Uh, welcome back to the show, Danny. How are you? Good, my man. How are you? I am well. Um, let, let's start here. Rory McIlroy uh, said that he and his bad play since the U.S. Open last year going into the Masters and then into 2021 has been because he was chasing distance, which a lot of people thought people may do, players may do in the wake of Bryson DeChambeau's win at the U.S. Open. And why I wanted to ask this about you is, or ask this of you, is we have seen in other sports teams, sports, the analytics people move towards different things. And there's a there's a, a danger of it. We always talk about in the NFL how defense and running backs still are useful when it comes to the playoffs, even though, you know, Drew Brees is setting records every single year for how many passing yards. We've seen, um, you know, this in, in various other ways about, you know, we need more Patrick Mahomes. No, we need more pa- uh, more pocket quarterbacks. We need more whatever. As you take a 30,000-foot view of where sports is, are you surprised to see that there are golfers looking at somebody like Bryson who has just overpowered courses and said, maybe that needs to be me, the same way that teams are looking for the next Patrick Mahomes who can do a lot of different things? Yeah, I found that interesting. I saw that yesterday, and he shot, what, plus 10 this last yep. tournament? Yep. He got cut. He said his swing's been all messed up because he's been going for distance. And I think one of the things to keep in mind as an athlete in general and as a team or an individual is that there are certain limitations you have. Um, you know, Bryson is able to approach that approach his game that way because he's a bigger guy, right? Uh I don't know how tall is he, like 6'3", 6'4". He weighs about 220, no, probably 250. So he has the frame to build himself out to chase distance and to overpower force in that sense. Whereas you have a guy like Rory McIlroy, who's maybe, what, 5'10", 190? Um, and he has just a very, very certain limitation as, as to how far he can go to play his game that way. And I think when you look at it that way, you have to always take into consideration, you know, who is the individual, how are they built, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses. And, and while it's great to say, yes, I want to be able to drive the ball 360 yards and, and two-shot and two shot every single par four or three-shot every single par five, there's just, you know, going to be limitations in your game that are going to prevent that from happening. So if you take Rory, for example, he has to go back to what he does well. It's not like he hasn't won before, and it's not like Bryson wins every single tournament. There are going to be faults in Bryson's approach, and there are going to be strengths that Rory has that Bryson doesn't have. So I think when you're an athlete, you always have to take into consideration, you know, what am I really good at? How can I become really, really good at that and outclass everything, everybody else that's really bad at this, and then learn certain tricks of the trade that allow you to stay within earshot of certain things you're not good at. So for Rory, you know, maybe instead of driving 350, it's driving at 320 and having a really strong iron game and, and punting game. 
Um, we're very frightened and ignoring some of those facts in his game. Um, but it's going to be impossible for Rory to mimic the game that Brighton has because he's just not the same person. He's not built the same way. No, he's not. Um, and we'll, we'll see how this progresses over time. Um, but it's a fascinating subplot to everything which we are seeing play out at the players where a 47, soon to be 48-year-old, and Lee Westwood has a one-shot lead, showing that there are many different ways to get it done. It's the nail on the head, right? I think Brighton's game has a shelf life. You can only train that way for so long. Your body can only handle it for so long. You know, he's not going to be able to drive the ball that far for many years. And once that happens, you know, what does this game look like? It's probably easier for Rory to maintain a game where he is solid in every single aspect rather than being able to drive the ball 350-plus yards for only two years, maybe have like a short shelf life, and then have to revert back to a different way of playing golf. So I think it would behoove you know, Rory to understand that this isn't what's always going to win the tournament, and there are going to be certain forces that really play to his strengths and then certain ones that don't and to adjust accordingly to the ones that don't to make sure that you're at least in contention. Um, you know, Bryson may have done, you know, his thing for a little while. I, I think it definitely has a shelf life. He's not going to be able to play like that for the next five years. No, and um, I have long said that Bryson, sorry, that Rory has the sexiest driver swing in all of golf. It's the most beautiful swing. I can watch it all day. There are, there are some weird swings in golf. There are some powerful swings. There's nothing more beautiful than Rory's, and he's gotten to hitting it too hard in recent years, which has, you know, been much to his detriment. And, you know, look, uh, he has obviously faced some ramifications, and I found it also fascinating that he paused for 23 seconds before answering it finally. Almost like, should I should I admit this? Should I admit this? It's like he was coming to grips with it, you know, live with us. Bryson, by the way, is 6'1", 235. Um, that's what he's officially listed as. So, just, I think he's more than 235. <laughs> well, he was, and then he's dropped some weight since. So he's somewhere, I, I, I think he's in the 240 range um, at the moment. But apologies for folks out there if I get that wrong. Um, speaking of NFL teams wanting to find the next Patrick Mahomes, um, we're having a very odd stretch in the NFL, which is obviously because of the pandemic and because of lowered gate receipts. We're having a whole bunch of players that no longer are affordable. And you've got a whole bunch of A, cuts, and B, conversions of guaranteed money and the signing bonuses and salary and whatever to save money. Patrick Mahomes is one of them, uh, converting a whole bunch of money into a signing bonus. But at the same time, the Chiefs had to cut Eric Fisher and they cut somebody else um, at the same time on the offensive line. And I feel like... We're, we may have to recalibrate after this is all done, after this all shakes out, where this lands us. Because A, we have a new TV deal coming next year, that's, that's or probably for next year's cap of the year after. That's going to lead to a ginormous increase um, in, in, in the cap. And B, you've got some really good, useful players now on the open market. It's 
really, uh, I I think that a lot of people's perception of what teams are on the up and are on the rise or what teams are on the down, I have to make some really tough decisions. And we may need to recalibrate who we like in 2021 as a result. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting free agent market. I, I think that market's definitely going to be flooded. Not only do you have your regular free agents that were set to hit, expecting big paydays, but then you also have, like you mentioned, a lot of veterans that were on big deals that, that just weren't affordable anymore. And that just leads to oversaturation. So how do teams approach it? Do they go after the veterans that maybe might be just looking for one-year deals to cash in next year? Do they invest in younger players? that are going to be on their books for the next four to five years or do they look to you know make trades to bringing you know veterans that are not happy in current situations that, that need more time or aren't happy with their contract it's really fascinating because i think you have teams that are definitely situated where they can go after both teams like jacksonville uh new england that have a lot of cap space and then teams that that have been forced to to play their hand a bit and cut a lot of their, their veterans that have gotten them to successful positions like the Chiefs and the Saints where you're just so up against the cap that the only way to get under is to, to get rid of players or to restructure deals just keeping the kicking the, the can down the road so free agency opens up pretty much tomorrow right and I'm sure we're going to see a lot of activity uh, probably a lot more activity today as far as you know roster cuts or uh, conversion of certain um contract so they can open up a bit of cap space. I don't know what to, what to predict because I, I I think there are certain teams that are going to definitely want to go after those those free agents. But then, you know, you look at certain teams that that might be up in the draft and they're like, maybe we just wait out, you know, certain positions because we can get them in the draft. So what, what position that you might be you know, a slow market for might be wide receiver. The wide, the wide receiver draft this year is pretty pretty deep, but then one, one position that might have a spending spree this year are, are edge rushers, because there are a lot of edge rushers in the draft, so it's going to be interesting to see what starts coming through tonight and tomorrow as far as league, where players are rumored to be going, how they're going to be structuring those salaries, are they going to be giving a ton of guaranteed money this year, and then less next year so they can spend more, or are they going to give less this year, and then more, you know, back end of the contract, so they, they have that opportunity of the cap next year. It'll be really interesting to see how this all shakes out. Uh, Rory, by the way, is 5'10", 160. That's what he's listed as. Yeah, there's no way he can compete with what Bryson has going no. on as far as his game is concerned. No. Um, speaking of restructuring, we've had two quarterbacks that have restructured or signed. One is Cam Newton, Patriots, one year, $14 million. Uh, I was rather surprised at that. I'm not quite sure what they're thinking, especially since a lot of people think that the Pats are trying to trade for Jimmy G. Um, and then Tom Brady restructuring his deal with some dummy money and some voidable years that are not going to be used at that money uh, to help out the Bucks keep the gang together. So let's start with Cam Newton. I'm very confused uh, and don't really know what the... Um, Pats are thinking unless they feel like Cam has earned this for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm with you. And when really when you look at the contract when it came out, it was a little misreported once the details came out. It's really a one-year, $5 million deal. 
all that extra money comes with incentives like making the Pro Bowl, making the playoffs, winning Super Bowl MVP, etc. So I think I mentioned to you last year it was like a smoke. I mean, last week it was like a smoke and mirrors contract. Yeah. Um, that you know they're signing him, and the contract is it's in a it's in a place that, that depending on how the, how it takes out with his roster bonuses and everything else like that, they can cut him with very, very little guaranteed money paid up front, no back-end money owed to him, and putting him in a situation where if they get a better option, he's going to be a backup or to be traded during the year. I think, really, at the end of the day, New England wanted to go into free agency with a quarterback on the roster that they understood could play the position for them the way they wanted to. Um, understanding that if they didn't get what they wanted or if they drafted a quarterback in the draft in April, that they're at least comfortable with understanding that Cam Newton was going to be their quarterback. Other than that, I don't see why they would sign him. Um, you know, Again, I just think they wanted somebody on the roster besides Jared Stidham going to free agency with a backup plan, knowing that you know, if they strike out with getting Jimmy G or they strike out with getting another free agent quarterback, and then they don't get the guy in the draft that they want, they at least have somebody. But I think that they are just prolonging their issue, which is that they don't have the quarterback of the future on the roster. Yeah. Um, we'll see how this all shakes out. And I think the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes will have a lot of impact on that. One guy who's not moving is Tom Brady, who's staying with the uh, Bucks and has extended himself out um, by a... Um, by four years, except that it's avoidable contract for the same purposes to try to get under the cap. Um, and as a result, uh, it's essentially a one-year extension to 2022. And uh, th- this, this one doesn't need a lot of explanation. It, it, it's, it's, you know, tr- trying to save money to be able to uh, keep a lot of the game together since the Bucks have a lot of players that 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 are not currently under contract and or have huge cap hits that are that are, that are not going to be affordable in this current landscape. But the question that I have is, Tom Brady is hedged now. Uh, he said he's going to play to forty five. Now he seems to be wanting to go past forty five. At what point, if you're the Bucks, do you start wondering what's going to happen here? Because he wants to go for eight. He has just won number seven. He's not the Tom Brady of old, but he did get better as the season went on. He got better in that offense as the season went on. How far do you think they can take this? They now have him signed until he's, what, 47, I believe, guaranteed. So you're at least, you know, having him out to 47. And at what point do you start having to have a backup that you feel like can do something if if need be? Yeah. The Bucks plan to me is a very short-sighted plan. It's a two-year plan. They want to see what happens this year, and then they can go from there. But I think what they're going to end up doing is seeing a lot of these contracts come back to bite them. Um, I know they want to have the gang together for another run. Makes sense. They have some young pieces there that are still affordable. They did franchise Godwin. They want to bring back Barrett. Um, they have Mike Evans signed long term. You know they're probably going to get Gronk and Brown back as well. So I think this is a very aggressive plan by them. Understanding that hey, we have an old an old QB, we have an old coach. 
we have a very short window here. If we're going to go all in, let's just go all in. Whatever happens after that, we'll deal with it. Uh, you know, it's better for us to get two or three Super Bowls or, you know, get a chance to play for two or three Super Bowls and never have a chance at all. And that's what they're going for. There's no other, really, you know, explanation for what they're doing other than they understand that this is their window. They're going to go after it. They have to keep teams locked up. So let's lock up a few more and then let's see what happens. But you have to anticipate that their plan, if it goes bad next year, that they probably have to really understand that their contingency has to probably be put into place much sooner. But you have to probably understand, too, if you're the Bucks, that if you have most of the players coming back and you have Tom Brady, that you have at least a 10 to 12 win team and an opportunity to get into the playoffs. And whatever happens in the playoffs, you know, happens. But they, they definitely have a 2021-2022 window year, and they're going after it. I should have mentioned off the top, it's March 13th. Uh, Saturday when when we're taping this. Um, uh, Danny Flecka with us here on Teeing It Up. Let's move away from the NFL for a second. Let's go to college basketball. Obviously, Selection Sunday is tomorrow, uh, the 14th. We are in uncharted territory in terms of this tournament. Here's my two cents of this tournament. Number one, we have Duke that's not going to be in it because they had a positive COVID test. They needed to win the, win the ACC tournament to get in. They failed to, to, uh, to be able to sustain that. We have two schools, Kansas and Virginia, that are out of their conference tournaments. But if they don't have an outbreak and have five players that can play, are still going to be in the NCAA tournament. We have... Schools that have been unpaused. We have schools that have been unpaused. We have schools like Michigan that are surging. We have schools um, that are coming from, you know, way, way behind with records that are kind of weird, uh, taking down Baylor, which we saw last night in, in the Big 12 tournament. We have people on a lot of different agendas and a lot of different timelines here. And I was talking to somebody who basically said that you're going to have a school on a seed line that is going to look very weird that could end up playing Gonzaga and giving them a run for their money. Not that Gonzaga is worse than they seem per se, but just because they're a team that should have been facing Gonzaga later on in the tournament, but because of the quirks of everything 2020-2021 is facing them earlier than they thought. I don't know what to think going into this tournament. What's your thoughts as we enter Selection Sunday? I think you, you hit it right there. There are going to be some undervalued teams that are seated lower than, than maybe they should be that are going to be playing top-tier teams earlier in the tournament. Uh, and plus, you have teams like Kentucky and Duke that are traditional powerhouses and, and traditional one to four seeds that aren't in the tournament that you have other teams taking their place that maybe aren't used to that type of environment or used to having no set of expectations on them um, you know playing teams that that maybe are year in year out tournament teams but not those blue bloods that we come to consider I think you'd also see the emergences of certain teams that maybe we didn't expect this year um, you know, Illinois has been really, really solid. Um, they have a, a tough matchup today against Iowa, but they're a top-five team in the country. Michigan, I don't think they were expected to be a top-five team this year. They've been playing really well. 
Oklahoma State, who knocked off, you know, Baylor uh, last night, has been playing some of the best basketball probably in the country the last month. They have probably the number one pick in the NBA draft in Kate Cunningham. Um, great coach. They have a great, great team. They've been playing well. I've watched a lot of their games. And you go to maybe the ACC where you see a team like UNC who struggled for most of this year, had a tough out last night against Florida State, but it seemed to come into form with, with their team as well. So I think it's going to be an interesting tournament too from the fact that you don't have the crowds that you're going to use that you normally have. It's not a lot of travel, so you can kind of take that out of the equation. You don't have teams from the East Coast playing in the West Coast, vice versa. Um, it's all very, very centrally located. And then you have the issue of the, the virus, right? Are you going to have teams that, that are playing on Friday that on Saturday can't play on Sunday because they got tested positive and allow teams to, to move forward that maybe weren't deserving or lower seats? So it's going to be a free-for-all, uh, to be honest. I, I can't imagine a scenario where we don't see some teams that, that aren't supposed to be there making runs to the 316 and then you see some bigger teams that maybe haven't played the, the competition this year because of the non-conference schedule being eliminated, being battle-tested. Gonzaga comes to mind right away. You know, they usually don't play a tough schedule. We always have that question of them come March. Can they handle the expectations of playing teams in the Big Ten, Big 12, ACC every single, you know, week in, week out? You know, how does that transfer over for them in a tournament? So it's going to be exciting like it always is. You know, I... I've been sitting down watching the conference tournament since the last week and this weekend. I forgot how much I missed just the overall excitement of these games, how close they are, and how these kids play, you know, night in, night out, are able to just throw everything out there. So I'm just excited for it to be back and just excited to see the opportunity that, that you know, the, the tournament has to present itself. I think it's something that we all missed last year and are excited just to have back and be able to watch. And here's two examples per uh, 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 Joe Lenardi's bracketology as we enter um, uh, Saturday. Rutgers is a nine seed. Um, I think a lot of people forgot that Rutgers would have been in the tournament last year um, if it wasn't for the cancellation, and they're still good this year. And he has the Alabama Crimson Tide on the two line. And this is no, this is basketball, folks. This is not football. Um, you would know this better than I do. I can't remember the last time Alabama was a high seed in the in the NCAA tournament. Um, Nick Saban's not the coach of them, folks. Um, <laughs> and I think that's part of what has to be calculated because you look at what Joe Lenardi has in that side of the bracket. In that part, in that quadrant, is North Carolina, Maryland, Bama, and Oral Roberts. 7, 10, 2, 15. Maybe Bama's good. Maybe Bama's not good. I don't know enough about the SEC out-of-conference schedule to be able to judge Bama. No, and you mentioned it too, like if you're Alabama or Arkansas, Ohio State, um, even Iowa, some of these teams that were ranked very, very high this year and are going to probably get a 2, 3, or 4 seed, and you see a North Carolina team come through as a 7, 6, 8 seed, whatever it is, your confidence has to not be that high, right? Because North Carolina shouldn't be in that spot. They should be a 3 seed or a 4 seed. I need to play them in the second round. 
Uh, and you see how they've been playing lately, you know, with, with four seven-footers coming off the, you know, coming off to the floor at any given time. They start, they, they seem to be hitting their strides. A coach in Roy Williams who understands how to coach in March. You know, it's, it's kind of a disadvantage. You, you see yourself have a great season and have to play North Carolina in the round of 32. Um, you don't want that. So it's going to be interesting to see how these teams, you know, line up because realistically North Carolina does deserve a seven or eight seed just given how they played all year. You know, just because they played well the last two weeks doesn't mean they deserve a higher seed. So, you know, that's where a tournament gets tricky, right? You want to reward the teams that have had good years, um, but you also have to understand that there are teams that get hot at certain points and, and have good wins that maybe the way they played in February and March is more indicative to their, to their overall um, skill level. So we'll see how it lines up. I mean, there's still two more days of games. Alabama has to play, um, you know, today, and then, you know, potentially see Arkansas. Uh, I think they're playing Arkansas today, are they not? Um, no, I'm sorry. They're, Arkansas is playing LSU. But, you know, they're potentially going to see Arkansas in the championship game, you know. Can they beat them? Maybe they even bought themselves in the conversation of a higher two-seater or one-seat. So, we still have to see how it all shakes out today. A lot of important games that will determine who's on that one and two line. Yeah, this is going to be a, a free fall. It's a different schedule because of quarantine rules in Indianapolis. All these different stadiums, all these different, all these different arenas, uh, venues. A Friday to Monday first weekend, which is going to be different. Obviously, we got a lot of different things going on when it comes to the tournament. Um, finally, unless there's anything else you want to say about the tournament. No, I think that today and tomorrow there are a lot of big-time matchups that are going to affect things. You know, you have Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, Illinois, uh, Texas, Oklahoma State today. Then you got Arkansas playing today. Uh, for LSU, Alabama's playing. Um, and then you have the, you know, the Big East game today. Like, can Georgetown steal a bit? Uh, you know, if they win today, they steal a bit from somebody. So, a lot of a lot of good games today that I think will definitely help shake out what we expect to see tomorrow, but still a lot to be determined. And uh, not only will they st- uh, uh, steal a bid, but uh, maybe Patrick Ewing will finally get recognized in his arena. Uh, it is crazy the way he is being treated when he walks in MSG. How do you not recognize the best Nick of the last, you know, 25 years? Um, that one is beyond... The most unsurprising story of Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yes. I, that's, that's how I look at it. it. When you have a clown like James Dolan running that, running that thing, are you not surprised to see that Patrick Ewing's being asked for his ID? Yeah, it's like, come on. I mean, he's the most recognizable Nick there is. Um, and it's also just crazy how many football matchups we've got here. We've got, as you said, Ohio State, Michigan, Tennessee, Alabama. Um, LSU, Arkansas, is this is this October? Is this November? <laughs> like, what month are we in? Um, what a free yeah. fall. And what a... W- yeah, I mean, the Big Ten's been solid all year. Yep. And Michigan has always a good team. Ohio State, I don't trust them. Um, I haven't liked what I've seen from them when I've, I've watched them. Um, but, yeah, like these Big Ten schools have been fighting it out all year. They're really, really good, all of them that are going to make the tournament. Um, you mentioned, like, Maryland. You know, they had a tough game yesterday against Michigan, gave them all they could. So the Big, the Big Ten is quietly one of the 
that overall conferences, I think, in sports period in college, um, and they're just kind of flexing their muscle a bit the last couple of weeks with basketball. Yeah, they totally are. All right, final thing for Danny Flecka. Uh, college football proposing this rule um, that would make you go for two after the second overtime and then run only two-point conversion plays after that. You had a, a great idea. Tell the folks what it is because it's, it's absolute genius. Yeah, I mean, instead of the two-point conversion play, it's pretty much the same premise, but, like, you just have them kick field goals. <laughs> um, you start at the 10-yard line, and you work your way back. You let the opposing team pick what hash they have to kick it from or where they want them to kick it from. And you just kick field goals. The first team to miss, uh, you know, loses. I, I think that would be more entertaining because college kickers stink. Uh, so so I, I'd rather see that because, you know, as a, as a team, you usually have your two-point conversion play that you're going into the week with. And if you're, you're setting this rule up, it just makes it a little bit more, um, you know, from a game plan perspective, you just save a little bit more play that you're going to run as a two-point conversion. Instead, send the kickers out there. Let's see. Let's see if these guys can actually make kicks when it matters and, and actually make, you know, field goals that, that aren't that difficult, um, you know, from a distance perspective. I'd rather see that than them running those two-point plays. Amen. Um, that would be more drama. And to me, two-pointers back and forth is gimmicky. So if we're going to go gimmicky, why not go to college kickers? Um, I, I, I fully endorse this plan. Um, fully endorse. And one of the things they mentioned was, like, they want to limit uh, the plays from scrimmage. Obviously, that's with player safety involved. But you're still making them line up, and the chance of injury is higher on a play, like a normal play, than on a field goal kick. Just have them kick it. So you kind of kill two birds with one stone there. Yeah. Um, Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. No problem, my man. Have a good rest of the day. You got it, and uh, enjoy it, everybody. Have a great day out there.